Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today again for your word. We ask you to bless us as we have heard it and as we think about it. May you give us ears to hear what you'd have us to hear and hearts to receive and do as you'd have us to do. I ask this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. As I just told the children, or I didn't say in these words, but today is Annunciation Sunday. It's not the Feast of the Annunciation. That famously falls on Will's birthday. Um, as we are fond of remembering. Um, but it is the day in our lectionary when the readings for all three years uh, are of the announcement from the angel that Jesus is going to be born, uh, the announcement to Mary and to Joseph, and then a, uh, remembering their response to this announcement. And as such, traditionally, it is a Sunday in which we remember Mary. And this is a, a good and right thing. Uh, many of you, if you, if you grew up as I did in the in very Protestant churches, we don't like to talk about Mary that much, in part because we, we're afraid we might sound a bit too Catholic. That's something those Catholic and Orthodox people do. So we'll give Mary a passing nod around this time of year, say she was a good girl, and we're glad that God used her in a certain way, but we don't really give her much more attention than that. And that is to our detriment. It is good and right that we take time to remember the Virgin Mary. And so we're going to do that a bit today. Advent is a good time. This fourth Sunday of Advent is a good time to remember Mary, in part because Advent is a time of waiting. And it has often been seen in church history, this time of waiting for Christ to come, that we are waiting with Mary in the nine months of her pregnancy. We're waiting with her in anticipation for the birth, for the coming of her son. And so in this Advent is a good time to remember that we are, in many ways, we are, we are Mary as we wait for Christ. It is also good on the very eve of our celebration of the Incarnation to remember her as the Theotokos, the one whose offspring is God, or it is more commonly called the mother of God. And when we say this often, those of us who are Protestant get really scared when we talk in these terms, but as the church fathers, you're going to remember that the early church fathers insisted that we, insisted that we call her the Theotokos. In part, well, not in part, because of what it said about her son. They insisted that we call her the Theotokos because it, in calling her that, we were affirming that her son was God. He was God. He was not just, he didn't become God later. He wasn't favored of God. Her son was God. And he was human. He had a mother. So in calling her the mother of God, it was an affirmation of the orthodox doctrine that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. And it is right that we remember her because in doing so we are honoring her son. We also remember on this day, especially with our readings today, 
the idea that has often been talked about in church history that Mary is the second Eve, just as Jesus is the second Adam. This is, a, this is an idea that is it's, it's old, it's not new, but recently it seems to be gaining a lot of popularity. I, I see and hear it more and more talked about or, or displayed in art or in music now, Eve, uh, Mary being the second Eve. And it is we are right to remember that calling her the second Eve is saying that we should remember both of these women together. We should hold them together in our minds and see how they are alike, how they are different. Jesus, this was taught by the early, recapitulated the story of the Old Testament in himself and the story of Adam. Where Adam failed, Jesus got it all right. So it is with Mary. Where Eve failed, Mary got it right. And the curses that came through Mary are in some ways reversed, or through Eve, are reversed through Mary. In Genesis 3, we remember that God says that there will be enmity between the serpent's seed and the seed of the woman, and the woman's seed will crush the serpent's head, and the serpent will bruise his heel. The first, as we call it, the Proto-Evangelion, the first telling of the gospel. And it is Mary's seed who will do this. Mary is fulfillment of this first telling of the gospel. Eve was cursed to have sorrow in childbirth. Mary will rejoice in bringing forth the Savior of the world. But the biggest contrast between Mary and Eve, the difference that allows Mary to be the one through whom the Savior of the world will come, is their response to the word and will of God. Eve, we well know, decided to ignore God's will and intention and his word, to disobey. She closed herself off to God in favor of her own will, of doing what she wanted to do, to taking what she wanted. And Mary does just the opposite. She obeys. She submitted to the will of God. And in so doing, she opened herself up to God and the blessings that he would pour out upon her. And in so doing, she became not only the Theotokos, but she, was also, she also gave us an example for how we are to respond to the will and word of God as well. Last week in our readings, we were given a phrase that we should make our own. It should mark us. In the words of John the Baptist, he must increase and I must de decrease. This week we were given another phrase that should be constantly on every Christian's lips. Mary's response of, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This is the perfect response from any human being to the Almighty God who is coming to bring salvation. This is the perfect response to his word and will. And I want to note just a couple of things about this response. There is much that could be said. I just want to note a couple of things. <clears throat> On the one hand, this response is passive, but not entirely passive. 
the sentiment is not, well, you are the Almighty God, and you're going to do whatever it is you're going to do, so you can go ahead and do it, whatever. I'm just a young girl. I'm, you're going to do, you, then whatever, you know? You're God, I'm not, so you just do your thing. Mary is not simply saying that she'll go along for the ride if this is what God wants to do. Her reference to herself as a servant or handmaiden is not a way of saying, well, I'm a nobody anyway in a griping, complaining sort of way. There is an active submission, an embrace of God's plan, even though it is incomprehensible. I do not think we need to, th to think that Mary understood what the angel was talking about, that she knew full well all that God was going to do and all that Jesus was going to do. She didn't understand, but she actively embraced God's plan. She recognizes her plan, and she's not along for the ride. She's fully on board with whatever God wants to do, whatever God knows best to do. But if her response is not fully passive, neither is it fully active. It is put in a sort of odd way. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's also not saying, well, let's do this, God, you and me. You want to bring salvation to the world? Yeah, I'll do my thing, right? Me and you together, we're going to do this. Once again, Mary recognizes her place. She is a servant of God. And that's an honorable thing to be. But if salvation is to come into the world, it must happen through God's word. Not ours, not Mary's. Most often, we want to get our word in along with God's so that we get a little bit of the share of the glory. We'd rather say, let it be according to our word, God, yours and mine. I'll give yours a little bit preeminence above mine, but I'm in there with you. Mary's response, let it be according to your word. I like often doing most of my own home repairs working around the house or building something I need instead of going and buying it. Some of this is to save money, but mostly or often it's because when I do the work, I get the satisfaction of being able to say, I did that. That's my handiwork right there. I, as I pass through that shelf I built, I get to say, you know, maybe if I'd have bought one, I'd have spent good money on it, I might have gotten a better one or it might have been repaired better. But I did that. And that's a fine thing when it comes to house repair. It's not so great when it comes to the salvation of our souls. But we would like it to be. We would like to say, God, you do your bit and I'll do mine and we'll get together on this salvation thing and we'll make it happen. So that at the end of the day, I can also say, look what I did with my life. Look how well I've done. To do so would be wind up with a salvation that is vastly inferior, so vastly inferior that it doubt it'd be a salvation at all. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the only way that salvation will come. 
And Mary knows that. So Mary says, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I submit to you. Be it to me according to your word. If you can use me in this process of, of bringing salvation to the world, do so. But it is your work. It is your will. It is not mine. And she submits, which is a reminder, which we need often these days. Submission is not a dirty word. Submission is not the result of the fall. Well, we sin, and so now we have to submit. This was God's original plan. Thy will be done. This is what Eve herself should have said. Let it be to me according to your word. This should have been from the very beginning that we respond this way, that we always actively embrace God's plan and submit to him. It's a good and right thing. It's a beautiful thing, and health and goodness come from it. But this sort of submission is never easy, especially not in our day and time. We do live in a time when our very identity is found in the act of expressing our own will. Where freedom and equality are paramount in this world. We must be free and equal. Freedom meaning the ability to exercise my will with as few hindrances as possible. And equality meaning that each person can exercise their will to the same degree as everyone else. No hierarchy. Thus submission, submission is a dirty word because it impinges upon our will, which is how we identify ourselves, which is where we gain our freedom and our equality. The Bible does not talk in these terms. It tells us rather that our true identity will be found when we, with Mary, submit our wills to God, submit all of ourselves to God, and God, not we ourselves, God identifies us and tells us who we are as we find our place in his plan. Such an approach will be unintelligible to the world. In fact, it'll be threatening to the world. Submission is a threatening word. And all sorts of evil comes when you're told, we are told, when you talk about submitting. So we will be unintelligible to the world. But this in itself is nothing new. In a very different way, but... Still, for Mary, too, it made her an outsider, submitting to the will of God. The consequences of at least did. The immediate consequences of Mary could not have been pleasant. A young girl, perhaps even a teenager, now pregnant outside of wedlock, giving birth far from home, and then being driven even further from home into Egypt as her son is put into danger, threatened by Herod. And I don't know Mary's experience, but I can imagine the pain she might have experienced 
to watch her son be rejected and killed as she did. Submitting to the will of God did not, doesn't seem, make Mary's life easy. But I can also imagine some sense of joy that she may have experienced years later. As far as I know, we don't have any reason to think that Mary was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was his last temptation, the night before his death. But I assume that she heard the accounts of what happened after, perhaps even read the accounts that eventually made it into our Gospels. And I imagine that she, there was a sense of joy when she heard Jesus' words. When he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Of course, Jesus, as God the Son, speaks perfectly here. He could do no other. But in an earthly sense, as a man, he learned this from his mother. He had a good teacher. One from his very earliest moments said, not my will, but thine. I'm on board with your plan. I embrace your plan, Father, to bring salvation into the world. In this sense, Jesus reflected was like his mother. And so are all the saints who have lived worthy lives reflecting Jesus. If we reflect Jesus well and rightly, we are also like Mary, submitting our wills to the Father. And so again, I will say, and I'm closing, it is right that these words be always on our lips. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.